0: Welcome
1: to the Crypto Campfire. They come in natural and artificial flavors. Mitch and the Professor. Featuring special guest, T.O. Bear. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Campfire Podcast. This is the Professor and Mitch. And today we're going to be talking with Tio Bear, the founder of Arcane Bear. But before we start talking to him, let's grab that crypto news from the Crypto Gent.
2: Thanks, Professor. Hello, Crypto Campfire listeners, and welcome to the cryptocurrency News in a flash. With the Crypto Gent, UK
0: Pharma demands 200 Bitcoin from Tesco after contaminating baby food. Traveler.com integrates PAX into its expanding crypto-powered
2: offerings, and India's Bitcoin hunger keeps rising as government remains unclear on position. That's the Crypto Coaches in a flash with the CryptoGent, and it's back to you, Professor.
1: Thanks a lot, CryptoGent. Tio, welcome to the show. What's going on, man?
0: Thank you for having me on. I love riffing and ranting. It's a great time for the community, I think, to have broader conversation just in, in general because the, we're, we're in such an interesting time of, of discussion where we need almost everyone communicating together to get through these moments and, and adapt to the very quickly changing scenarios that we face right now.
1: Yeah, communication is 100% key in making this work, period. You know, if we can't communicate, it's not going to work. And uh, we've kind of started picking up that pace with social media over the last 10 to 15 years of people actually uh, enjoying communicating with each other in larger groups without actually having to physically go out and stuff. And so it's this has been a a bad and unfortunate but positive catalyst on the evolution of communication uh, within society. So it's kind of a... And, deep way to start off the podcast but you're yeah, absolutely exactly. fucking right and it's really crazy to think about
0: yeah we're uh it, we're gonna watch a, a large chunk of multiple sections of our economy basically get cut off here and for good reason i you know we should actually be cutting a fuckload of more of it away but that's a <laughs> we could get into that topic maybe a little <laughs> later on in the discussion um so i didn't i didn't mean to cut you off there
1: no it's absolutely true though so let's go back real quick let's like Pedal back, pedal back, rewind, and go way back to the beginning for you in crypto. How did you discover crypto first off? And once you discovered it, what got you pulled in? and What got you hooked on it?
0: Okay. Short story. First time, my my like Bitcoin virginity, I guess what we could call it. Um, back, I, somewhere between 2009 and 10 was the, the first ones, I think. It's around 90 bucks. That part I know for sure. What year... I, guys, I smoke a bunch of ganja sometimes, especially when I was living in (laughs) Canada. Entirely different topic. So (laughs) I was (laughs) working doing like pay-per-view, pay-per-click advertisements with with a company, and we were always having to buy um, servers and uh, rack space for hosting the websites and and the content that we were building for a whole, whole line of products. Anyways, during this process, one of the companies we were working with started to say, hey, we'll give you, uh, like, I think it was like a 40% discount for using Bitcoin. And we're like, well, what the fuck is Bitcoin? Because in business, every penny saved is as good as another dollar earned. Essentially, you have uh, more more room to, to to screw around with. So we started trying to buy Bitcoin in, in Canada. It was the only weird, arcane kind of, uh, I guess you would call it, you know, I guess you could call it an exchange it wasn't really an exchange I'm I'm not sure they like if they were still around that they probably would be getting hit with some type of money laundering nonsense but because it was it, this was still back really early in the days it, we didn't even have regular there is a very big lack of regulation back in those days for for how things go even now with um buying bit like btc on, uh, online um, you can get in trouble depending on how you're sell, buying and selling it because of money laundering laws, et cetera. So you be very careful about just blindly selling to people um, nowadays. But back in the day, it was it was a, a little bit of a pirate ship um, that that you would see running around. So I had no idea what Bitcoin was, and I didn't, I didn't, we didn't care at all. We just saw a way to decrease our monthly expenditures on on all the hosting that we were going through producing all this content. So that's the kind of boring part. We bought a few at 90 bucks, we were paying for it, ended up with, you know, fig- had to figure it out at that time. So it was mostly a technical learning to, to save money. Um, and then about, it was 2000, and I think, again, mind my smoky memory here, but it's, some, it's around 2011, 2012, Bitcoin went from like $90 to a th- around $1,000 in the Cyprus um, the, the bank runs. There was a liquidity crisis in Cyprus, and and right around that time as well, we saw Bitcoin's price spike from around ninety two to thousand dollars. Again, smoky memory. So I apologize for that. But that's when I really, that's when I really got it. Um, I was living in Guatemala at the time, and I saw this like sacred flower of life. And I've been studying weird things like geometry and and. Like bu- like Buck Bucky Fuller's work, etc. So you start to get lost in all all of the, this like geodesic dome type shapes and sizes, and the the flower of life and the and the Bitcoin logo. And I picked it up, and I actually still have it at a in my like scrapbook at home in in Canada. I should grab it one of these days. And in Spanish, it's talking about free, you know freedom of money, and it has the th- same thing in English. And I'm assuming that it got there from one of the one of the music festivals. And, you know, the the music festival scene has actually been on the cutting edge of a bunch of some of these changes to begin with in the first place in terms of like cultural music norms, um, clothing, all sorts of stuff. I mean, e- even, with, even with Burning Man, some of the first Tesla cars they brought out there, I'm pretty sure. So you've always seen this kind of edge. I mean, even... For example, perfect example, this year, you go to these music festivals, you get a little wristband, right, little little, little RFID wristband, don't go to inject you guys quite yet, you give your money to the teller, because it's easier to do, because you don't lose your wristband too often, you zap your wristband across, and now you can pay at the whole festival with your wristband, right, so they are often trying out some of the new technology, um, so I think that what what I was seeing like this flower of life, Bitcoin postcard in Guatemala. And like, this is a pretty indigenous community back into that. like, it's, it doesn't really, you know, it's a pretty obscure niche thing. And, and that's when it's, that's when it got me because it had the essence of some of the things that I look for on a conceptual level. So, I, I mean, uh, I had a, I have there's a video I produced in some of the early days of Arcane Bear where I talk about Bitcoin technology echoing and mimicking effects of nature that nature itself is like a giant blockchain and what you have is an infinite amount of consciousness kind of always keeping everything in check through different forms of of keeping track of the memory, like the way the rocks move through the river, the decay over time and through this basically biological process, everything's keeping track of everything else by its relationship to to one thing and the other things as things move through time. It's like, oh, this is basically, you know, the universe is like a decentralized, proof of experience that the, through time, all these degradations of, of the material world around us and not just the degradations, but the creations of those things are basically like the memory of, of the universe. It's how we store the data of time and what that time looks like. You know, we erase it as we, as you know, the universe moves forward. So I was like, Oh, I, I see how this technology can solve problems because anytime I see something mimicked in nature, I know we're on the, on a, on a, on the right direction to figuring out some core core things that we had maybe gotten wrong in the past. Nature can't just infinitely print things. Now we do, you know. I could we could venture off into the future of technology and, and deflationary aspects there, but that was basically my entry into Bitcoin. Was this kind of sacred geometry, psychedelic um, uh, relationship to the, to the concepts that I was interested in, aside from just oh, this solves the money problem. It was the other conceptual stuff that really attracted me to it.
2: So in what way did it change your life? I mean, did it, did it like totally change your outlook on how things were going to evolve?
0: You know, I think the now, sitting where I am now, I started to see, I've started to notice more, I think broadly, the deflationary aspect of technology as a whole. Like Bitcoin in itself is is deflationary. We technically lose it. We end up mining it less each time technology itself is is deflationary in its very nature every time we produce something we're putting a lot of people out of out of other jobs because we've reduced the friction necessary through your robotics ai all this all these other technologies which are coming to light very very quickly so i think seeing that wave of decentralization and distribution was a is is almost an event of necessity you know for anyone that's read uh, nasim taleb's books you know small is beautiful is a, a quote from another e- economics uh, sentiment as well is that whenever every time you get a structure that's too big when it collapses its inevitable collapse destroys most of its parts so the best way to have a system of systems is to have a bunch of smaller uh, distributed systems essentially that take take the um the uh, like give you a much larger buffer layer in comparison with like a full-on economic global collapse so, I started to see that the wave towards deflation and distribution or decentralization is, is probably a natural occurrence to keep the, um, we have to remain resilient as a global economy. We can't centralize too much because it will break a lot of the necessary infrastructure to keep everybody working together uh, fluently. So, um, I think that's the most exciting part still is that Bitcoin is <laughs> a, a part of a wave of deflation and another wave of decentralization, which means over, over time, I hope to see that, that that concept is really what drives people to move forward because open source does a better job. And we're seeing that with this pandemic right now, that there's a lot of really good science that's going on. But when you put politics in the way of that, it ruins so much. Like the the conversations that are going all around right now about hydroxychloroquine or even the death rates, I've seen Stanford now, and I'm not even a great I'm not great at research. Like I'm 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 a high school dropout. But what we see right now is the problem in centralized points of anything, even in distribution, creates for a fairly a, a, a much less educated society because critical thinking is not involved in in discerning information. So we can listen to storytellers and we can listen to, uh, like, logistics and try to, um, you know, come to a conclusion about uh, the the difference of unknown unknowns. Like, because the boogeyman is what exists in the unknown unknowns, that's the thing that scares people enough to get them to lock down in their house for so long. And because there's no, because people started to lose trust in the centralized sources, and no one really knows how to trust the distributed sources yet, you see this, it's almost all noise right now. So I think what's going to come out from here is we realize that it's much better to not have a central point and try to listen to every every aspect again. This, you know This is why we needed freedom of speech in, in the first place is you need to rely on everybody being able to hear every other goddamn person's point to make sense of this. It, even if they're wrong, we need them at the table because every time we go further in science, we find out almost everything we knew 20 years ago was pretty much wrong anyways. So we're consistently going through this creation and destruction not and not just in the things that we build but in our scientific literature and unless we re- allow room for that even, especially at scale we're going to run ourselves into a problem so decentralization or distribution of open source information you know 3d printing is going to start to take over here platforms for a lot of things all, all this whole deflationary wave is is hopefully going to bring a much cheaper asset class to everybody so that we can all have more free time to probably garden, spend time outside with nature, do the art that we've always been interested in doing. You know, technology was always supposed to be this, let's bring people the tools that they need so that they can focus on what they're actually interested in instead of having to bleep, bloop, plonk, plonk numbers and connect wires together and to hopefully find like a better relationship with their creative selves. That's what I was always excited about technology. And somewhere along the way, with this, that you know what I, I guess to bring it back to the point here, because sometimes I'll, I'll run around with so many different inferences because I'm mostly excited about the concepts. Is what's changed my life most excitingly about Bitcoin is that it's brought something to the financial world that really answers a question of at least for now the necessity of scarcity. Because in a deflationary world, we we are if you just endlessly print money, you're going to end up screwing over everybody, and if you don't you're going to end up almost screwing over everybody too. So we have no real good escape plan right now. Um all I mean having bitcoin in the portfolio allows for like an option. And it's almost an option that you don't want to come true, but it it looks like okay, well, if we're going to have to deal with this, great. But it's sometimes uh, uh you know an op- option uh, the ability to have uh, an asset class in your portfolio that moves to being a productive asset in these um, rather distressed times you don't want the distressed time it's not necessarily good for like people are losing their jobs their, their homes their livelihoods are going to have to change throughout their life our ability to travel is maybe gone for, like so there's a lot of really like stressful things that we're going to have to go through and adapt to so right now like let's say all of a sudden right now bitcoin went to like five million dollars right well but right now you necessarily leave the country that you're in to go spend it. Like you want to fly to Thailand? Uh, Like it's super easy right now. That liquid capital might not be able to do you a whole lot of good in these distressed times. And that's one of the interesting things about assets like this is when these things start to really move in the direction we want, it's going to be at the behest and likely to the destruction of the old systems that we all were happily living and mostly comfortable in.
2: So how does toilet paper fit into that? (laughs) Well, this is, Go
0: ahead. it's a perfect (laughs) highlight. I I think you brought up one of the most poignant ideas about this is that when people don't know what to do and they're they're scared, the first relationship that comes to mind is, okay, imagine yourself, you're in a desert, right? Close your your eyes. As you're sitting there, as you're standing there, whatever you're doing, you're sitting in your car, listening to this podcast, you think to yourself, I'm in a desert. Don't close your eyes while you're, you're driving, by the way. Don't, you know, okay, I'm in a desert, right? and I wake up and I'm like pretty hungry and it's hot and I don't see any shade or anything around. And all of a sudden there's the devil in the the motherfucking desert, right? Devil on his left hand has, I've got food, water, and shade. And you're like, well, that sounds mighty useful. Then on the other hand, it's like, but on this hand, I've got gold, Bitcoin, and silver. And you look all around you and you see in no particular direction, any sense of survival. You are going to pick the basic of what your body needs to make it to tomorrow, 100% of the time. And well, and maybe not 100%, but most people, let's say 80% of the time, let's be generous here. No, I'll, I'll, no hold on, let me, let, me, let me, here's the long-winded. So right now, what we're going through is a readjustment <laughs> of value. So people, when they're scared, they don't necessarily know what they need on a long-term basis because they've never even thought, what would I need to survive for 18 months? Very few people have that capability to think on on a value term 18 months out whether it's in you know it could be investing there are some people that probably from the cold war still have their have still been consistently stocking up on canned goods and replacing stuff because they know um that not that long ago we used to have to stock our cold storage rooms in canada like or in costa rica here where you know most of the people that are my age lived really close to nature just 15 years ago they didn't have cell phones or trucks they didn't see any of that stuff. They were living with their grandparents in nature. So a lot of people still have that value-to-value relationship of survival. And what this is going to likely be, as, as all these like oil going to negative rates, etc., this is a, a readjustment through deflation and inflation at the same time. All, we could see all the tickers just start to go haywire. But what difference does it make? The average person still hasn't figured out what's wrong. Most countries... Right? People are so excited to go back to work and, and flatten the curve. It's like most of these countries that would normally deliver the things that you are going to need in three to six months from now are not making anything anymore. And you're not going to get most of the things you thought you would need three to six months from now. So we're on a pretty pretty dark trajectory to some degree, and we need to start making like adept moves now. And Bitcoin doesn't necessarily solve all that right if if we don't like if if all these big airline companies go down in a year from now two years from now, even if you have a, like a million dollars in capital, what if it's all all of a sudden four hundred thousand dollars to get on a private jet to fly somewhere nice? You have to start thinking that what we're going through now is going to readjust the value through so many sectors it's very difficult to comprehend what this is we're going to look like coming out the other side because this is a complete reevaluation so the toilet paper I think is a highlight of kind of the the panic of people starting to realize that they are going to need to re-identify what's valuable in their lives.
1: <laughs> the identification of what's valuable in their lives kind of ends up in a funny area too, doesn't it? For most people, it end up with toilet paper and hand sanitizer <laughs> and uh, bread and milk in the freezer. You know, people don't think, they think far enough to fill their freezer. They don't think far enough to think about what happens if they can no longer turn on their freezer you know you got to keep thinking beyond that that's why you say you know that it's not just the first three months you got to get into the six and 12 and 18 month mindset of if you're if you're trying to get yeah. through a major situation and you're really going to plan ahead and try to stock up you got to think further yeah ahead well you know
0: i i do sit on a fairly optimistic side here because of the level of technology that keeping moderate levels of electricity and internet is going to be not so difficult to do as long as we don't have a solar flare. Now, if we had just had a solar flare, we'd be looking at entirely different circumstances. But um, as barring something wrecking our grid right now, we can probably squeeze through with the tightness of production because it's not as it's it probably won't, the system won't get as stressed. We've already put it to some of its max stressors, um, and and everything's still fine. So. I, I bear on the side of optimism that we'll probably be able to keep the, you know, I had a vision. I called it the, the, dig, the rise of the digital cowboy, which is that this is going to be a real mesh between kind of urban farmer living and the, the digit, like you guys ever read, you guys ever read snow crash.
1: Okay. So that's a great story. <laughs> I, I have snow crash. I just bought it like two weeks ago because Adam Savage recommended Perfect. it and uh, to be honest with you, I started reading the first chapter, and then I put it down because I wanted to go reread Engines of Creation, which if you've never read that, you should read it. It's by Eric Drexler from 1984 about molecular assembly, and that's fucking okay. incredible. But Snow Crash is actually next on my list. so
0: I'll preface it shortly here. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. I'm glad you got it on the reading list. I've been addicted to it. I started about three weeks ago, and I'm in the last 20 or 30 pages over the next day or two. So um the point of this is the the rise of the digital cowboy this idea of being able to try to log into the metaverse chat with your librarian we seem to be moving into a time where the necessity for like distributed systems like everyone having a little bit of farm or gardening like there should be no lawns like everyone should be growing a little bit of cucumbers and tomatoes it would make the world a better place for so many reasons it brings you back to your community you can do food shares more everyone no one would really go hungry it you would never have to rely on a different country like what's fun about seeing this kind of vision what what i felt was that the the digital cowboy is that now that we have to be localized and and remote people are going to get more interested in providing for themselves so in six to 18 you know six to 12 months from now the infrastructure for the electrical grid probably probably won't be too stressed it It's more likely uh vehicles that have breakdowns getting parts depending on what parts they are from different countries if if China's still shipping or delivering like I don't think China's gone back online producing anything out of Hubei. but I, I'm you know I, we're getting ancillary evidence a lot of the the discussions that were coming out of China we're not hearing anything about it anymore, <laughs> so it's hard to hard to say what's going on when you lock down countries like India who produce a lot of the base. Um, and I think this is more more important than the electrical system, is is the medical system is going to be stressed. India and China are two of the largest producers for some of the base aspects of what we need in our medical system. So everything from acetaminophen to your, your regular blood thinners, we don't know the consequences of countries not going to everyday work from um, a multiple week basis. And I think people are to are, are worried about the virus which which they should be and and I think we should be overly cautious I think being overly cautious is a good thing we should have been everyone should have been wearing masks from day 1 we should have just been like okay cool we need to limit the spread of a potentially deadly virus that might linger around for who knows how long it could be airborne hiv for all we know so let's just Let's be, let's be critical-minded here and do the right things first. Instead, we do the exact opposite. We just <laughs> run around like, so. no, it's no worse than the flu. It's like, guys, we still don't know that. We don't know anything about this still. Most of the, most of the data we're getting out is actually contrary to the, to the most popular belief right now that it looks good. It actually looks really bad. This virus looks like it can affect your, your immune system, your kidneys, your liver, your brain, your heart. And then what we're, what we're seeing now is that the virus is not just a regular flu. In fact, you don't, we don't even know that you can get rid of the virus once you have it, much like something like herpes or HIV. The best we can do is provide um, immediate re- uh, antiretroviral. You know? So th- this is a really difficult time where people need to be able to sift through so much complex data. So Arcane Bear, what, what, we, what I try to do is, you know, in in some way, shape or form, continue to do the research that I'm so passionate about, and then try to provide a, somewhat of an unbiased presentation of that. You know, like, it's hard to, people get so want to get so caught up in a conspiracy about Bill Gates or the vaccines and the mandatory ID, but they forget some of the simple questions of why those things are necessary in other parts of the world. And why adoption of technology will always go that way. And you're arguing against something you probably don't even understand. And it's this really interesting term of events where if we go back to the beginning of the conversation before we kind of press record, is we're looking at a, a much more complex structure than just the physical, na- natural world that we live in. You know, you start to study physics, um, practical and theoretical, uh, you know, some of the most controversial ideas of uh, about this being like a holographic reality, which is echoed in almost every... Single religion uh, before this somewhat of an illusion. This holographic reality has um, a game to it, and that game seems to have a structure and almost, almost like a like we'll call you could call them bosses or whatever. But parts of the game where it tries to throw you off and get you to lead you down the wrong corner by misch- mischievous characters and shit like this. And you know the the want to jump on the bandwagon to, to call Bill Gates a um, like a globalist. It's so easy to see why someone like him exists. Is because, look, if I was a Microsoft CEO and I just made all this money, I'd want to protect it. And I would see, look, it's, it was plainly easy to see that the pandemic was eventually going to fuck us up. And our infrastructure was so weak. All this globalization of needing this medical stuff from one country to the next, all you would need was a little bit of blip in the in this system. And you would break the financial world that we live in, which is essentially what we're living through now. Is the the breaking of the dollar system because the pandemic, even if it's only a few percent, like a micro percent more than the flu, that was enough to pretty much have always fucked this system up because we were living with more debt than we were than we've been producing for years. It's unsustainable. So you didn't need much. So Bill Gates is like, Oh, I'm gonna try and solve a problem that mitigates the risk of me not being able to fly around. Like, even me, like I would I'm so upset that I can't fly to Guatemala and go hang out in the hot springs of the cute guatemalan girl this is ridiculous right so it it affects the whole system i don't see really how this be, is benefiting um people so simple answers like okay well why was you know we could see that the pandemic was coming we should have been planning and preparing for it we didn't really and you know, we just suspected that life was going to go on like normal and now it's changed and it's changed so drastically I, I for people to get ready to what's coming next you need to be so you need to focus on providing value for other people. You can do it for your local community. You can do it in, in your community at large. You right? You reach out to people, research, study, share your thoughts, share your opinions, but do, definitely don't think you're right. That's for sure, especially when it comes to conspiracy theories right now. It's all mighty and good to think that there's this big problem in the United States. But look, Costa Rica, we don't give a shit about your guys' election date, and we lock down. It has nothing to do with politics. A virus is a very, very real serious thing. Like, I, As far as I can tell, and I don't want to sound too ridiculous right now, and, and I hate, and I hate to do this, but this is a virus we do not know that you can ever get rid of. And that might mean that four to five years down the road, as a healthy adult, you might have a viral outbreak that then kills you. We don't know yet. We don't know what this does in the long term. And that's a very dangerous thing to be playing with. And it's better to take more proactive, precautionary measures in the beginning later later on down the line because if what if we end what if we're like oh we just kind of let it go loose and all of a sudden you have a billion people that have hiv now that that's unacceptable and we don't know that that's not the case yet and because of that it's too early to to want to go back and get our, our hair and nails done and do silly things we need to be thinking proactively for the the dangers that we really don't understand um, and we should be doing this thing for so many things, and we probably will never. We could get hit by a fucking asteroid, right? And we would never notice. And this is the thing, right? People only start to care when, the, when the death, I, I guess, gets close to home. So, aside from the fact that, whether it's vaccines, and I, I think people should replace the vaccine conversation now with therapeutics. We should be uh, the fact that Susan Wojcicki came out the other day, and and this is very scary to me. Said that talking about vitamin C and COVID-19. Was not going to be allowed on YouTube. Whoa, you back the fuck up because we have clinical evidence that vitamin C makes a goddamn difference. What the fuck is the CEO have anything to do with talking about medical literature that she knows nothing about? It is very angering. And I'm not, I have nothing to do. Like, I'm a, at best like a stone researcher, right? I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but I, I know for damn sure she has no idea what she's talking about, especially when she brings up things like vitamin C not being effective. In, in treatments for COVID-19 because that is not the case. We have more than ancillary evidence that, that taking um, and, and not boosting your immunity, but giving your immune system the tools it needs to fight back at all times is gonna create a stronger society So when you have CEOs coming up and saying stuff like that, I start to get really worried for our medical community being able to make proper advancements because we're in such a gray area right now. Stanford Research the other day put out a paper, which is total bullshit, that said that the the disease was in Los Angeles County, was like uh, 85 times more prevalent than it was. And th- they, what they failed to recognize, because of their shit research, was that this first off this reviewed paper ha- was not, not even statistically significant, based off the research that they were providing. But secondarily, and probably more poignantly, is one of the writers and co-authors of the paper was the same person that ended up posting it. I believe it was on the, on the, on the Wall Street po- Washington Post. I'm, I may be wrong on where they ended up posting the results first, saying this. It was basically from an antibody test from the guy who had a vested interest in the antibody test itself when we had no evidence that the, the antibody test that they were producing even fucking worked. This so we right now you have it's impossible to to try to quell the problems in scientific literature when the Washington Post, the New York Times are all posting blatantly fake news based off a research paper that somehow accidentally got out. And now which was refuted and rebuked and now taken down from Stanford, which is supposed to be one of the most prestigious journals out there. So we have a a very tough choice in front of us right now. And uh, and I understand why people are worried about their freedom of speech and with governments taking over. But we have also a very tough choice right now with with understanding the the long-term effects of a virus like this could absolutely destroy our supply chain from front to back as it were. (laughs) We don't know if it can. not
2: I think it also makes you question the puppet strings Who who's holding the puppet strings because you know, a lot of these corporations, such as say YouTube, for example, we don't know where that direction, that that direction is necessarily coming from her. Uh, I'm not trying to defend that in any way, shape or form. I'm, a, I'm a very big proponent of vitamin C. I think vitamin C just on a general scale is, is a beneficial uh, vitamin, but you know, sadly our, w- there's a reason the FDA has not really officially approved vitamins for a lot of cures that they're possible,
0: that they have potential for, right? Well, yeah, this is, this is the difficult part, is you would need long-term studies. And most of, most of the time when the FDA looks at, a, a, like they look for a, a cure, they're not looking at a, a preventative long-term front runner, like a prophylactic, for instance. I mean, we have clinical evidence now that's, clo- that's close enough to the, redu- the reduction of uh, mortality dates in ICU and, and with, from sepsis and ARDS, which are two huge killers in the United States, that is peer-reviewed literature from the, the JAMA, of, uh, JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. Now, it's secondary data, so you, when you write a hypothesis, you can't, you can't use your secondary data as, as your core because you were trying to prove something else. In that data, they were trying to prove the reduction of SOFA scores, which is your or, basically organ failure rates. And, and this is an extreme sepsis in ARDS patients. So we do know that, that vitamin C on the secondary notion of a, of a very high, highly reviewed paper, uh, reduced mortality by a statistically significant difference. And as well, the same thing with ICU days, which is hugely important. And when we have conversations like this, that are this, this just went across the table in the late parts of 2019, it's just it, people are just starting to still recognize what that means now. And to adaptively put into practice means you should be actually giving your patients before they're iatrogenic, before they go into hardcore sepsis, before they need to be put onto a ventilator to really see the positive effects. Because with a virus, you're fighting it, it replicating itself, right? So the later on you give it into a like a, a, a patient who is in, in tail, like a, a tailwind effect, right, where it gets much, much worse for them after that, you're not going to see as as much benefit because a a virus can, the more time you give it, the more it replicates and the higher the viral load is in the body and the harder it is to fight off because you're fighting at a completely different level. So a a lot of the problems is you're, people aren't just, they're not funding it. Right now we're getting more stuff get through, but we are in dangerous times with, you know, where speaking up because you think 5G is the right conspiracy is is going to be the thing that creates the noise that in the country that you're coming from is going to be the reason why the government ends up putting some bullshit law in place why you can't speak your your mind because it's very obvious it's not 5G. Like, okay, we have a small group of people that think that. That's cool. Small group of people think the earth is flat. That's cool. If they all of a sudden had overwhelming data that proved us wrong, over the next few years, we would probably switch, right? Like, oh, the earth is flat. But that's not the case. So in 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 the scientific literature, sadly, we progress one death at a time. And right now, we have an increased death rate all around the planet. And people still seem to be comparing this to the flu, when everywhere across the board, deaths are up noticeably higher in in every country. So the downside is is you have all these all of us who just don't want to believe the mainstream media, and there's good reason. Stanford just the other day put out a bullshit, totally bullshit. Piece of evidence that was all of a sudden published in all these other news journals that did no research and it's total crap, crap science, right? And in front of all these scientists from every field, who would be like, yeah, this is garbage. Doesn't matter what what dog they have in the fight, they would be like, that was garbage science. So there's every reason not to believe the mainstream media. But at the same point, the only way we can be progenitors of truth is basically to know when to keep our mouths shut too, is because that means if I don't know a great deal, what I'm talking about it probably means I should spend a fuckload more time listening. If I don't understand what they say when, when they mean what's an ACE2 receptor or protease or re, like the replicase of the ATP receptors on, it's like, well, then I should probably shut the fuck up and listen and try to learn something, right? And that's the difficult part is, is we, we, we so dearly want to attach ourselves to an ideology a lot of the times that, that we think is like, what's going to help us fight through this the virus or the tyranny in governments that we forget that we know nothing. So I gotta, I gotta ask you,
2: how many days, how many hours a day do you spend now on yoga versus versus
0: before well, all this? You know, a lot of time has actually been put more so into. I actually have used the first month or two of this actually into becoming, uh, like I would call it a lot like an undergraduate in epidemiology and and uh, pathology because I I try to use okay. waves like this to structure my educational time. Um, because it's a it's one of those times where hey this is what's important um so i've actually spent a great deal of time in my mornings doing research into clinical trials mostly because i think understanding the long-term repercussions here also comes to understanding with how do i create a a, a prophylactic state for myself to exist so things like yoga meditation deep breathing time in the sunshine vitamin d vitamin c Um, those are all extremely important spending time out in the forest may actually increase your your immune system if it has the right like smells in the forest like sometimes we've found that just smells in a forest can actually increase your ability to fight off viruses there's a whole bunch of crazy shit we have just never studied and or the studies we do have are so far and few between when you find them you're like this is gold so there's you know there's youtube channels like medcram where they go in and they show a lot of the advanced um uh, like biological uh, mechanisms that are taking place for how some of this stuff works. So I've actually spent, a, you know, I've probably spent around two to three hours a day studying right now and researching and staying up to date with, with the current clinical science because there's so much noise out there. Being caught up in the noise, it could cost me my life right now as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not willing to do that.
2: <laughs> I totally get it. it. You know, and that's a big thing that a lot of people should be doing now is, is taking this time to educate themselves or further educate themselves, whether it be, you know, whether it be on technology or whether it be about the virus or whether it be about the same things that you're researching yourself, you know, knowledge is power and knowledge of a vast amount of things just gives you a, a better rounding as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, these are times where what we need to do as a society is poignant for everybody, and being able to craft messages that can share information at scale. um, What we should be doing is going to be it's our job. Like I would, I've said this one of my videos. What I would love to see is Donald Trump on stage with like Wim Hof, doing like ice baths and like saunas and telling everyone to make sure that they stay the fuck away from each other, but get a bunch of sunshine and start to, and just everyone put on a mask because then we could get back to work trying to deal with solving all the problems we have. But I'm actually kind of excited that we're like, just we're, we're ripping out all of this part of the economy. I hope we bail none of it out. Like look, restaurants, all this kind of frivolous travel, this is all gone now. And, and to, to some degree, maybe for the better. We were living a very comfortable life being able to fly around the world. And we were creating a lot of consequences for ourselves that weren't that beneficial to the people that lived in in the lowest parts of society. I'm stoked right now that a bunch of people aren't flying around to different countries right now. As much as I would love to be doing that, I'm kind of glad we're not. I'm kind of glad people are given this opportunity to reflect at home and say, oh good, I like gardening. I like doing art. I I like doing yoga. Uh, And again, for me, I like researching. you know, my life hasn't changed all that much. I live out in the jungle with water storage and food growing in the property, and I was kind of set up for something like this because I, I felt always the financial system was weak enough to break with just the financial system. I felt the financial system was weak enough for it itself to break the goddamn thing. Like how weak you gotta. It's like if you accident, if like if you punched yourself in the face, you could knock yourself out, kind of like you just broke your own skull, kind of thing. You're like what the fuck are this? So. <laughs> That's so broken. Like you got to be in pretty weak condition. So, um, right right now, I think the you know, from an invest an investor standpoint, researcher standpoint, understanding the depth of of what's happening here is going to give you a better view into the future. And for me, um, you know, I would love to be doing more yoga and and meditating right now, but I don't feel I've earned that right yet. I'm still a young buck. I'm still uh, I got, still have some fight in me. Um, I, I feel that the yoga and the meditation at, in long periods, because there's times where I've done three hours in a day, like when I was taking like a va- like a what I call a vacation. Um, th- this time right now, for me, is getting prepared to deal with what's coming. And this is a, sh- I don't, I really, I, I, I wish I was m- more optimistic on some of the downsides here, but I, I feel very, very poignantly that the virus we're dealing with is not just a, a flu of any kind and that you do not, in any way want to get this virus because we have no fucking proof that you cannot have it afterwards. We have no proof of that. And there are many other viruses that are just like that. So it's not out of the ordinary for, th- for that to be what we're finding. And that's what we're finding now. And that doesn't scare me. But that again, this what we're, we're trying to do is save the, the supply chain, right? Because if, if all of a sudden over the next year or two, say all these people start dying, like what if, what if right? And this is just a hypothesis, right? You get the virus, you think you're okay. Six months down the road, you catch another flu that r- lowers your immune system. Your immune system starts attacking a different virus now because you've got this new flu. And all of a sudden, the disease, that, the virus that never left your body comes back up and starts fighting you again. This is a very likely scenario from the data we're seeing now. And that should be, have us worried not about dying, but a, about how we're going to deal with what this means for our supply chain. And I think everybody should be growing a goddamn garden. Everybody should be working closely with their municipal governments or their governments, if they can, to try to push therapeutics across the table. You should be getting sunshine, right? You should, I, I want to see Donald Trump up on stage with Wim Hof doing breathing exercise with the entire goddamn American, like everybody left, right. <laughs> like, yes, that's, oh my God, that would be the benefit of what would you what would you call it? That would be the benefit of idiocracy. If we could bring the non idiot side of both seats at the table, let's have Wim Hof and like a Native American guy with sage up there. Let's get let's like let's get into this multi multicultural diversity that we are going to need to survive on a planet together. Because this is that's our two options. I think what we're going to go through is a time where people huddle together. Everyone goes back to the little nation state. They try to figure out what they can produce to make sure that they're okay, their economies without tourism, without travel, without international business growing. And then everyone's going to realize, shit, if we don't all work together, we're not going to make this through. So you're going to have probably like a two to five year period of almost like a Cold War where everyone's like, ah, no, don't really move. You can't come into our country. You can't, no, you can't leave our country. This kind of <laughs> shit. Um, uh, not a Cold War, but kind of like a Cold War. They might even try to fight like limp dick armies. They might try to fucking sword flash together, but I don't think they'll be able to pull it off. It'll be very difficult for them to pull off like a real war in a pandemic. It's like God, it's just so silly. They they might try though, but in in that time, I think it's going to give us the opportunity to globally communicate, realize the, the the weaknesses in our centralized systems, and try to quickly surpass those those problems with with technology. And that's kind of my hope into that digital cowboy novel. And and that's what I feel like there's a, there's a big, there's a good novel here under the digital cowboy heading. And it's what we see in this urban kind of like log into the metaverse to get my data. Like I've got a book of plants that I can use here medicinally. I could, and artisanal science. Like I should, I could probably do, we could probably do um, randomized tests with, um, with certain things given Uh, like a global community where we could set up, okay, I'm going to take this dose of this particular thing and we'll find out what happens over the next six months, nine months, based off everyone's individual input, instead of needing to, um, you know, record some of these trials. uh, We can probably find a better way to do open source, decentralized, randomized, double placebo studies anyways. So it would be, it would be great to try to really push science faster and technology faster then government has the ability to keep up with us regulating because they're going to be busy with a bunch of other bullshit where we can f- fly past them and solve mm-hmm. a bunch of problems and, and hopefully get them out of our way.
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to happen. We're, we're accelerating so fast yeah. right now, and we're about to hit that knee of the curve. You know, I don't know if you've ever read any Ray Kurzweil, but the the concept of the singularity of uh, when technology transcends humans and you have to integrate to survive, you know, more or less. And that's like, you know, talking 20, 30 years out, sci-fi type shit, but but there's the steps and we're getting kind of to those as
0: I would only argue against the core concept of Ray Kurzweil's direction versus um, the... the the. How do I phrase this? I, I think he's got a few things wrong. I think inevitably tech does get to a point where we make ourselves irrelevant for what tech can do but it's i'm i'm much more optimistic in the way we we um form a symbiotic relationship right now it's like a toxic relationship what we have with technology there's a fair amount of it that's not it's like a it's like a bad partner necessarily you're like ah, it's, it does good things but it could be better right so there there there's a point where we need to readdress our relationship with technology and and i think that comes when people get put back in their relationship with nature and realize that for technology to make the next leaps and bounds that it needs to, it needs to be, in fact, tuned to nature. It needs to build off concept that nature inherently uses. And we have a lot of great scientists who are working on that stuff. Um, you know, I, I, Buckminster Fuller is a, is a goddamn genius. His work in this this area of synergistics, et cetera, Um, is is extremely important and and vastly overlooked but when we start to move into what technology brings next yeah it it, you we're talking about almost an infinite amount of energy and like maybe you could have a black box the size of like four ipads in a a square cubic area maybe you could power your house for like 150 250 years for the cost of like what a cell phone is today, 15 years from now. What would that that do for money if all of a sudden, look, you can print everything you need at home? Like you want a new cell phone, just download it. You can print it. You've got almost infinite energy. You can probably genetically manipulate things to a fairly high degree too, So, which means you could probably print food. We could probably print agriculture. We're we're, we're moving into...
1: Yeah, that's I just talked about earlier, we asked about Snow Crash, and I was like, I'm rereading uh, Engine's Creation by Eric Drexler. Have you heard of Molecular Assembly? Uh, Yeah.
0: So I mostly just try to destructure concepts here, so I can I can I can understand where it's going. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So basically, the concept is uh, nanoscale robots, nanobots, um, that can disassemble things at the molecular level and then reassemble those molecules in whatever fashion is necessary. So that that ties right into a combination of that and additive printing methods that we have right now um, to being able to print food or print a working device or you know we say print just because that's kind of the the terminology we're using with 3D printers and whatnot these days, but be able to synthesize uh, all sorts of different objects at your desk, you know, like I want a big Mac and you hit the button and fucking, Hey, there goes your molecular assembler just made your big Mac for you. And you know, I don't know. It's, it seems really crazy in sci-fi, but I think we're going to start seeing some of that shit. That's going to make us go like, Holy crap. How does this actually, how does this work? Is this even possible? But it's here. I own it. I paid $199 at Walmart and I'm happy. So. Will that, will that
2: aid <laughs> teleportation? Uh, it might, it might. So if,
1: I got to ask you last question okay. of the night with all this crazy shit happening, I know you like traveling. I know you want to get out there. If you could safely teleport anywhere in the world right now without the risk of spreading or contracting the coronavirus, where would you go and what would you do when you get there? You know, that's a that's <laughs> that's
0: a difficult one. I would probably teleport someone here instead. That's I like where I am. I, you know, I, I love being at home here in the jungle. My I've got a nice farm here. My dog. I I grow. I've got like a few hundred. Um, probably. About I haven't actually counted but probably something like 110 pineapples on the property so every month i get about six fresh pineapples right from the, right from the property here i've got endless amount of turmeric
1: that's got to be making awesome making like
0: pineapple turmeric chocolate smoothies it's fucking amazing here um so what i would probably do is i would probably uh i would i would roll around and pick up a, a few girlfriends that i know and i would take them back here for a little bit <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like that. I like that. You know, that's a good answer. You're not teleporting yourself, but you're still using the teleportation it, it to benefit yourself. So yeah,
0: why not? I'm right? fine with myself. If I, 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 I have a teleport use, I'm definitely bringing. I'm bringing more more women down here,
2: sir. This has been an incredible podcast. Your energy and your your verbiage and just the way you present yourself. I really enjoyed the the conversation for sure. I mean, we could go easily for another hour, but You know, we we got other things going on. It's almost bedtime for this old man. So (laughs) thank you guys. I appreciate it. But again, this is this has been awesome. It's you know I I've seen you, I've followed you for some time. Always been interested in some of the things that you've discussed and talked about. And to have this podcast is kind of like you know that icing on the cake, so to speak. It was a pleasure to meet you.
0: Oh I'm so glad Mitch I'm really glad to meet you as well thank you for the opportunity to to rant you know just as a disclaimer I have no idea what I'm what I'm doing or what I'm talking about I just like to I just like to freestyle I hope everyone
1: we're right like, in the same exact boat man we have no fucking clue what we're doing we just here we're just yeah. here we love crypto we love bitcoin and we love freedom and we're just having a yeah. good time
0: yeah, just keep, keep the conversations open. Make, make sure there's room for everyone. Uh, I'm glad. Thank you guys for inviting me in your community. Remember to give us those thumbs up because this content is obviously awesome. Damn uh, Leave your thoughts and your comments in the section down below. This is T.O. the Arcane Bear and all the great people at the Crypto camp- Campfire.
1: That's right. indeed. That's yeah. right. And, and thank you I'm guys. so glad that we had T on because uh, we never remember to say any of that shit. So thanks right. for doing that for us. We appreciate yeah, it. Exactly. It's probably the first
0: time they've ever heard it. So and maybe smash that like button. Like some stuff <laughs> smash the like button. Yeah, there you go. Hell yeah. Thank you, sir. Times, Have man. yourself a great evening. You guys as well. Thank you for the evening as well. Take, Take care.
1: I love it. I love it. It's good that somebody kind of gets us back on track, you know, like I know. When I'm trying to go down another rabbit hole instead of answering the, or asking the last question. But the <laughs> rabbit holes are so fun. But oh, It's my been an goodness. hour and uh, we've only been recording for about 40 to 45 minutes now. And this one just kind of took off. So, but it was a good time. It was a lot it of fun. Was. We learned a lot, probably heard a lot. And uh, yeah. we still have a huge list of questions to ask. So maybe I know. So much to absorb. To another one.
2: I think this is the longest, shortest podcast we've had.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it was great, though. It was actually really good because sometimes it's good to just get somebody on here and let them dump everything that they've got, because he's got some really, some really important thoughts, I think. And he does. Um, I've got to listen back and reabsorb to yes. know if they're all important. And uh, <laughs> but I think they were great.
2: It's hard to, you know, it's always been challenging to absorb the conversation as much when we're in the midst of the podcast, more, oh, yeah. you know, versus when we're listening to it after the fact. So I, I listened to um, the most recent release today, and that was pretty awesome. That was uh, CQ mm-hmm. uh, from Voltage. Voltage. Oh, woohoo. Yep. I remembered. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs>
1: I, I still got to buy one of those tickers, the Rocket one. It's so fucking cool, man. Well, you know at him I was, In Vegas, like God, I really want. I was one.
2: actually going to reach out to our sponsor, Coinflip, yeah. and ask them if they buy their Bitcoin sold here signs from Voltage Go or from somebody else, and try and put the two together.
1: That's a great idea because I'm guessing they probably just found a neon company, right? And not somebody in the crypto space because I sure I'm sure there's not very many neon people. In the, in the crypto space. space. Yeah, exactly. so there's a few, but finding them is the, is the trick. So, yeah, if we could put them together. Yeah, I
2: think that'd be sick. <laughs> you know, if you guys are out there, speaking of CoinFlip, you guys are out there, get a chance. Check out CoinFlip ATMs. You can go to coinflip.tech and look up a location near you. You know, you don't need a bank account. All you need is a few extra dirty fiat dollars in your pocket, and you can go buy your crypto, put it right on your wallet. It's a piece of cake. And if you can't
1: because you're practicing social distancing or don't have one around you, you can still do it on their website, coinflip.tech. Check it out.
2: That's right. That's right. So until next time, guys, you have yourselves a great night. We hope you enjoyed the show. And as always, we do this for you, the community. Your input is always important to us. If you got any ideas or suggestions, please don't hesitate. Throw them our way. And until next time, we will talk to you guys later. Take it easy. Peace.